Well, we're beginning a, a brand new series here called Unlikely People, where we're going to be exploring the, the lives of some of our brothers and sisters from the Old Testament, people like Noah, and Jonah, David, Moses, Gideon, to name a few. And as we look at their lives, we're going to see that they're people just like you and I. They had good days and bad days. They had good qualities and, and bad qualities. They struggled with some of the same things that you do, insecurity and depression, unbelief, trust, those kinds of things. They had moments of, of great uh, faithfulness, and as we're going to see today, they all had moments of just great sin, unbelievable sin. And one of the reasons God had their lives recorded for us in his word was so that we could learn from them. They're people just like us. And to kick off this series, we're going to look at one of the most interesting men in all of the Bible, at least in my opinion, and that is the man named Samson. Samson was one of only a handful of people whose birth was actually foretold by an angel. Most of you don't know that, even those of you that have walked with the Lord for a long time. We certainly know about John the Baptist. An angel came and told his mom and dad they were going to have a baby. And obviously we know that an angel came to Mary and Joseph and told them that they were going to have a baby. But an angel actually came to Samson's parents and told them that they were going to have a, a, a baby, that this was going to be a special son, a, a son that was going to be blessed by God. Look at verse 24 of Judges chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses will come up on the jumbotrons or they're in your notes. It says, when her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew. The Lord poured out his favor on this man as he grew. And right from the, right from the start, right from birth, Samson was a special child. He had the potential of being a superstar for God, really. He had everything going for him. He, he had good looks. He had incredible strength. He was a fearless warrior. He was really the, the Rambo, if you will, of, of the Bible. He had a good family. He had good God-fearing parents. God's blessing was on his life. He was the guy who would have been voted most likely to succeed in, in high school. An angel came and told his mom and dad, you're going to have a child. I'm going to bless his life. God had an unbelievable plan and purpose for his life, but as most of you know, he blew it big time. As most of you know, he ends up being a joke, really. The Bible says this in Judges chapter 16 in verse 21. It says, then the Philistines seized him, seized Samson. They gouged out his eyes and they took him down to Gaza Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to grinding in the prison. The champion of Israel is now nothing but a, an instrument that is really used for animals. He's become a joke. He's lost his power. He's lost his influence. He's lost his freedom. What happened? What happened to this incredible guy that, that God had poured out his favor on? I mean, he's got so much potential. I, I just 
I just couldn't help but think about this for the last few weeks. The potential in this man's life. But he ends up a tragic loser. Why? What, 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 what was it? What can we learn from this man's life? Well, I want you to know, men, that there's lots of things that we can learn from him. And, and I really thought about you a lot, all the men, whether you're in this room or over in the venue. And I believe that God put on my heart a, a message for you, regardless of your age. My son's right down here. He's a young man. Some of you are grandfathers. I don't care what your age is. I don't care whether you're married or not. This is a message for all the men. And that's not to say, ladies, that you, there is an application for you because you will see clearly that there is application for you. But I know that this is a message that God has birthed in my heart for the the men of this church, and, and we're going we're gonna to see a number of things, three things that we're going to zero in on that really messed up his life. Th these were things that weakened this man's life. They messed up his life, and they'll do the exact same thing to you. You see, every one of us is just like Samson. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's masterpiece, all of us. God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. An angel may not have come to our parents, you know, and told them that, you know, we were gonna have, they were going to have a special son. But the reality is, is that when you were inside your mother's womb, God put you together. You're made in the very image of God. You're a masterpiece to God, men. And God has a special plan for your life a special purpose for your life. And that plan and purpose God thought about long before you were ever a twinkle in your parents' eyes. But if we're not careful, we could all easily end up like Samson. So what do we learn from the life of this man that, that can help us? Well, the first thing we learn is this. Out-of-control desires will weaken your life, men. Out-of-control desires will weaken your life. One of the things that you see when you look at the life of Samson was he, he was a man that had little, if, if any, self-control. Turn to Judges chapter 14. Verse one says, one day when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. That sound familiar, guys? There's nobody in this room, if they were honest, who would say there hasn't been a gal at Rayleigh's or the mall or someplace that hasn't caught your eye. It happens every day. Now, when it says that she was from Timnah, what that means was is that she was non-Jewish. She was of another nation, and God had made it, made it very clear to Samson that Jews were not to marry outside of the race. Now, that has changed today in the New Testament. Verse 2 says, when he returned home, he told his, his dad and mom, hey, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. That was his philosophy. 
His father and mother objected. They were good, godly people. They understood what God's plan was. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all the Israelites that you could marry? They asked, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife, Samson? But Samson told his father, get her for me. She looks good to me. In the Hebrew, it literally says, get her for me because she pleases me. Didn't matter what pleased God. It didn't matter that God had forbid it. It didn't matter that his parents had warned against it. None of that mattered. All that mattered, guys, was him and what pleased him. All that mattered was his desires. Who cares what God thinks? Who cares what my parents think? What matters is, is me, my desires. She looks good to me. Get her for me. Beloved, this is a man that has lost control of his desires. His desires were now controlling him. And when that happens, it weakens your life. When you no longer have control of your desires, whatever they are, it weakens your life. Anything that's left uncontrolled in your life will weaken your life. It can be the way you spend your money. Man, when you're out of control when it relates to spending money, guess what? That weakens your life. It can be food. When you, when you are out of control with your food, it weakens your life. It can be alcohol. It can be your emotions. It can be the way you manage your time. Men, listen to me. Anything that's left out of control in your life will weaken your life or mess up your life. Now, let me give you the typical attitude of a, of a person with little or no self-control. The typical attitude is this. What's the big deal? I'm just going to do, you know, at this this, this one little time, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, couldn't hurt much, could it? It's only a small thing, and it's really only this one time. Man, I want you to know that this is Satan's favorite rationalization. It's no big deal. It's just a small thing, come on. So what? What could it hurt? It's a little thing. The fact is, men, small things can have a huge impact in your life. Let me give you an illustration. I've used this before. Imagine we were to go to San Francisco and we were gonna get on a boat and take a cruise over to Hawaii. So we got on one of these big cruise ships, you know, like the Queen Mary, one of those kinds of things. We get all our stuff loaded on there and man, we're all on board and the ship makes its way out and now it's heading underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, you know? Imagine if the captain, you know, got on the intercom system and said, hey, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't want to upset you while we were boarding, so I waited until we were offshore, but this boat has a leak in it. But don't worry. You don't need to sweat it. It's just one little leak, and it's really, really small. That's all, just small. 
If you were smart, if you had any wisdom at all, you'd either have them pull the boat over so you could get off, or you'd jump off so you could, you know, swim to shore real quick. Because here's the deal. The boat's going down. It's just a matter of timing. The issue is, is timing. The bigger the hole, it'll go down quicker. The smaller the hole, it may take a little bit more time, but the bottom line is the boat's going down. Here's the point. You can't have the attitude that it's just a a little thing or that it's just this one time because it may seem like nothing. It may seem like a little thing, but the reality is it's a huge thing. And sooner or later, it's gonna take down your life, men. May not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week or next month. But if there's some little desire in your life that's out of control, let me tell you something. It weakens your life. And the chances are great that at some moment the boat's gonna go down. So what's the application here? What do we learn from Samson in this first point? Well, the application is you gotta discipline your desires, whatever they are. That's the application here. You've got to learn to discipline your desires. Proverbs chapter 25 says this, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. The Bible says that a person with no self-control, a a person that hasn't disciplined their desires are basically defenseless. They're like a city who doesn't have any walls to defend them, and and that's not a, a good thing. Listen, People who have control over their lives don't say, well, that's no big deal. It's only one little thing. I mean, everything else in my life is in order, so I'll just have this one little pet sin or this one little area of my life that's out of control. No. So I want you to do a little self-evaluation. In your notes, you're gonna find a little thing, and I'm asking you the question, are there any desires in your life that are out of control? This is where the, you know, the application really kicks in. I don't want you just to come and hear a message. Our, today in America, there's a zillion preachers preaching a zillion messages, and everybody sits and listens to the truth, and sitting and listening to truth is easy. I want you to have to wrestle around with some things. As hard as it may be, some of you are going, oh, man, I got some desires that are out of control. I don't, I don't want to look at that sheet. I, I'm, I'm zeroing in on you, Pastor. I'm listening. I don't want you to listen anymore. I want you to really search yourself right now. And I want you to say, yeah, I have some areas. Or no, I don't. Or I'm not sure. And if you're not sure, why don't you go home and ask your spouse, ask your wife. Ask your kids. A lot rides on this. Your boat may be going down, and you don't know it. I'm not having you do this because I just want to be mean. I I had to do a lot of inspection this week. So you can get up here in a little bit and go have lunch, and, you know, on Wednesday, blow off some fireworks and all that kind of stuff, and you still got the hole in your boat. 
Or you can say, you know what, the Holy Spirit is doing something in my life right now. I don't really like this sermon. I don't really like this first point. But maybe, God, you're speaking to me. And maybe I need to take some action in my life. I don't want to be weakened. I know you have a purpose for my life, God. This can be an incredible moment. Last night, man, a revival broke out in this place. At the very end, I'm going to have all the men stand up. We're going to pray for you. The elders are going to walk around, the pastors. It was unbelievable what happened down here last night. Miracles were happening down here last night. And I believe last hour there were miracles that were happening here. Because I believe there were a lot of men who were being, you know, grabbed by the lapels by the Holy Spirit of God. And they were dealing with things that were in their lives. Now the second thing we learn from Samson that will weaken your life or your marriage or whatever is this, is that out of control anger will weaken your life. Men, when you look at the life of Samson, not only do you see a man whose desires were out of control, but you also see a man that often allowed his anger to get the, the better of him. And I know what some of you are doing right now. You're going, oh man, oh man, oh please. This is a good moment. This is a good moment for some of you. You don't think it's a good moment, but it is. It is. Now, I want you to know, as I look at the life of Samson, I think he had the right to be angry over some of the things he was angry about, but he allowed his, his anger to get out of control. He had, he had uh, 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 you know, his anger was just kind of over the top. He might be what we would consider a hothead today. Look at Judges chapter 15. Unbelievable. Samson said to them, this time I have the right to get even with the Philistines. Never said that guy is about somebody or some situation. I got the right to. I'm really going to harm them. So he went out and he caught 300 foxes and he tied them tail to tail in pairs. I thought about this week. Just catching 300 foxes is pretty amazing. <laughs> but now he's got them. And the PETA folks, I'm sure, hate this, but he, he, he grabbed their tails. And now he, he ties them together. Now, they just didn't, you know, eh, whatever. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know they were biting him and scratching him, and, his, and he's just, and now he's got this thing, you know, two foxes with their tails all, you know, tied together. I was, I was trying to imagine this, and then 300 of them. Unbelievable, but then it gets even more bizarre. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails. And he lights it. And then he sends the foxes, and I'm sure they were all angry and mad, and so he's got this torch in the middle of these tails that were tied together, and he lights them, and then he sends them loose, and he, I'm sure they were just running, and obviously they were burning all the grain up and all the weed up, and that's a little over the top, don't you think? I mean, he could have just gone out there and lit a match and <laughs> burnt the thing up. <laughs> this is a guy who's, Lost it. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. 
Verse seven says, Samson said to them, since you've acted like this, I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Verse 11 says, then 3,000 men from Judea went down to the cave of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, hey, don't you realize that the the Philistines are, are rulers over us? What have you done to us? And then Samson says this, I merely did to them what they did to me. The next time somebody says to you, you know, that's an old book. There's nothing applicable in there today. This is the 21st century. Guys, I'll bet you there's very few of us that haven't uttered those words. Maybe even verbatim. Man, I'm gonna do to you what you did to me. Unbelievable. By the way, this is the typical excuse of a weak person. They hurt me first. So I'm gonna get them back. They did it to me first. You started it, you know. By golly, I'm gonna finish it. Men, when you spend your life reacting to people out of anger or bitterness or resentment or whatever, it it, it just weakens your life. That's what it does. It weakens your life. It weakens your marriage. It weakens just everything. Now, there's nothing sinful or evil with being angry. God got angry, so, so it can't be Sinful. I think God wants us to get angry over some things, but when you lose control over your anger, it's not good. It weakens your life. It actually gives the devil a foothold in your life. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four. He said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives gives a foothold to the devil. Not only does does anger weaken your life, whoa, it opens you up to just demonic types of things. Man, anger can be a nasty thing, which is why Paul goes on to say this in verse 31. He says, hey, Christian, get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. Rage, get rid of all anger, harsh words, and slander. As well as all types of behavior. You know what's interesting to me? That word all in the Greek means all. Now some of you haven't caught on. All means all even righteous anger. The Bible says you gotta get rid of it all. Now, what about, what about a, a righteous anger? Get rid of it! He says this, instead you gotta be kind to each other, you gotta be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let me tell you why I believe we're encouraged, if you will, to get rid of it all, even the righteous anger is because when we have a righteous anger towards something, 
what happens? It often moves, doesn't it, men? And then we begin to cross a line. In our humanity, boy, it's hard to control your anger. And anger weakens your life when it's out of control. Anger gives the devil a foothold. And yes, you can have a righteous anger, but too often, doesn't it, men, it crosses a line, and now it is an anger that's out of control. And I think it has something to do with our humanity, our, the old man, the old nature. You put the demonic in it all, and boy, a lot of times when we get angry over something we ought to get angry about, which is what happened to Samson. As I said, I think Samson had a right to be angry over some of these things he was angry about. But wow, he lost control. It quickly became something crummy in his life. I read this quote from Aristotle this past week. He said this, quote, anyone can become angry, but to be angry with the right person to the right degree, at the right time, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not so easy. <laughs> and I read that this week and I went, yeah, yeah, it's me. Anybody can become angry. I thought about my own life and boy, there were many times when I got angry over things that were worthy of being angry over. Man, it just kept going. And it literally just got out of control. And now all of a sudden, it weakened my life. I was not in a good place. Proverbs 29 says this, fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. One version says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So what's the application? The application is this, is that you gotta learn to control your anger. Men, you gotta learn to control it, and the good news is this, if you know Christ, is God's given you his Holy Spirit, God's given you his word, God's given you this beautiful thing called the church, God's given you fellowship, God's given you other guys that you can hang out with and pray with, God has given you all kinds of things that will help you in this area of your life. I think you could summarize Samson's life in, in one word, uncontrolled. The Bible says this in Colossians chapter three, but now is the time to get rid of anger. Now, it's today, guys. Not tomorrow, I'll get to it next week. It's now, right now, before you leave here and go have lunch or whatever it is you're gonna to do, today's the day when some of you need to say, you know what, my anger is weakening my life. It's weakened my marriage. It's weakened my relationship with my kids. It's weakened my relationship with my parents. Today's the day, let's deal with it today. Let's let the life of Samson mean something to us today. Not just a cool story, and we all go, wow, that was cool. But that we allow God to really work in our lives. So do a little self-evaluation. How well do you control your anger? I don't. I do somewhat. Or I'm good at it. I know a lot of guys that are good at it. I know some that, you know, do it pretty well. 
I don't know where you're at, but here's the moment where you and God wrestle around with your life. Some of you need to take your life more seriously, especially those of you that know Jesus. Now, the third thing we learned from Samson that'll weaken your life is this, and this is the big one. Being careless with your commitment to God weakens your life. You might want to write underneath that or not recognize in temptation when it comes. I wrestled with those two, but I really like this idea of being careless. See, he, Samson was one of the most careless men that you will ever meet as it relates to his relationship with God. Now listen to me. Everybody in this room, if you know Christ, there came a moment when you made a commitment to God. You invited God into your life. You said, God, I want to be one of your followers. And you committed yourself to God. You made a commitment to God. And let me tell you something. When you're careless with that commitment, it'll weaken your life. Remember that Samson was special from birth, he, he, he took what is called a Nazarite vow, which included, amongst other things, a vow not to drink alcohol, a vow to only eat special kinds of food, and a vow to never cut his hair. And that's how most people remember Samson. He was the guy with the long hair, you know, and that was the, that was the, the, the deal. The, the, these were the things that always were a reminder to him that he was different. They always reminded him of his commitment to God. Every time his buddies got together and had a beer or whatever, he was reminded, you know what, I don't drink alcohol. I've made a special commitment to God. Every time his buddies went into a, a, a barber shop and got their hair cut and his hair kept getting longer, it was a reminder to him, I'm different. I have a special relationship with God. I've committed my life to God. I've taken this Nazarite vow. He knew that his life was totally dedicated to God. Now, I don't necessarily think that Samson's strength was in his hair. I think his strength came as a result of his commitment to God, and his hair simply represented that commitment. It was God working in his life that gave him his strength. It wasn't the length of his hair. And it's okay if you disagree with me. And the more careless Samson was with that commitment, the more it opened him up to the deception and temptation of, of, of the enemy, the more it blinded him to what Satan was up to. Beloved, all throughout the Bible, we read this phrase, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived, don't be deceived. And let me tell you something. The reason why God says that over and over again is because we have the potential of being deceived, men. And when your desires are out of control, the greater the chances Satan's going to deceive you. When your anger's out of control, the greater the chances that Satan's going to be able to deceive you. And the, the more careless you are with your commitment to God, the greater the chances that Satan's going to be able to deceive you. Man, it was as if everything was just a big game to Samson. He toyed with temptation. It was like, how close to the fire can I get and not get burned? How, how close to the edge of the cliff can I get before I, you know, actually fall off? And we see this careless attitude with his famous relationship with Delilah. And that's how most of us know Samson. There's a story of him and Delilah, which is found in chapter 16. 
You see, the Philistines hated Samson. They wanted to kill him or at least get him into prison. But he was way too strong, so they came to Delilah and they offered her a bunch of money and said, hey, listen, is there a way that you can find out why Samson's so strong? Can you find out the strength, you know, where strength comes from? And so on four different occasions, Delilah comes to Samson and, and tries to get it out of him. And it says this in chapter 16 in verse 6. So Delilah said to Samson, hey, Samson, hey, darling, hey, can you tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued? Now, instead of treating his commitment to God as something special, instead of recognizing what was going on, that he was being tempted, he begins to walk down a path. A path that's going to end really bad. Some of you men are on that path right now. And you know who you are. Talked with a man last night who was probably hours, if not days away from taking the last step of ruining his life, his marriage, his family. Samson answered her, if anyone ties me up with seven fresh thongs that have not been dried, I, I'll become as weak as any other guy. I mean, Samson should have told her to get lost. He should have walked away. He should have ran away. But instead, he's kind of toying with her. He lies to her. So Delilah puts Samson to bed and, and has the Philistines come and tie him up with these seven fresh robes. And then she wakes him up and all these Philistines are there to kill him. But of course, he wakes up and, you know, and, Beats everybody to a pulp. <laughs> so Delilah comes back a second time, and in verse 10, she says, uh, you, you, you've been making fun of me, Samson. Come on, tell me. Quit telling me lies. Tell me how, how you can be tied up securely. And once again, Samson is careless with his commitment to God, and he tells her, well, if I was tied up with brand new ropes that have never been used, then I would become as weak as any person. So once again, Delilah puts him to bed and ties him up with these brand new ropes and calls the Philistines in. And they wake him up and Samson jumps up, you know, and beats all of them to a pulp. Now you'd think that Samson would start catching on. But he doesn't. And let me tell you why. Careless people rarely catch on. Some of you weren't laughing. You didn't catch on, did you? I mean, after all, it was just a text, right, guys? No big deal. It was just a touch. It was, it's not that big a deal. Come on. It was just a wink, you know. To Samson, everything was just a game, but to Delilah, it was more than a game. And she came back, and, and Samson gives her a little bit more of the truth. Look at verse 13. Delilah said to Samson, until now, you've been making a fool of me and lying to me, telling me how you can be tied up. And he replied, well, if you weave the seven braids of my hair together into a fabric on a loom and tighten it up with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. Do you see what's happening here? 
He's getting ever closer to the truth, isn't he? He started with some string, some rope, and now he's actually at his hair. He's getting close. The texts are getting a little bit more intimate. A little bit more time is being spent around the water cooler. Nothing crazy's happened yet, but he's getting closer. He's careless. He's made a commitment to God. And his desires have weakened him. His anger has weakened him. And he's just careless. You just want him to scream. Samson! I can't tell you how many guys I've had screamed at over my almost 30 years here. Stop it! Don't you know where this is going to end? Verse 16 says, Then Delilah said to Samson, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time that you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. And because he was totally careless with God's gift to him, verse 17 says, So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were to be shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Beloved, this wasn't an overnight thing. His entire lifestyle was robbing him of the very strength that God had given him. It was his lifestyle. It was his desires that were out of control, his anger, his carelessness. All these things were robbing this man of the strength that God had given him. The, the haircut was simply the final straw, in my opinion. So verse 19 says, having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so he began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And I'm sure Samson thought, what else is new? He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. An angel came and told his mom and daddy, you're going to have a son. I'm going to pour out my favor on his life. God had this incredible plan and purpose for him. And because his desires were out of control, it weakened his life. Because his anger was out of control, his life was weakened, and he got careless with God's commitment. And maybe one of the most tragic statements in all of the Bible I just read, he did not know that the Lord had left him. He was totally unaware of how his lifestyle was goofing up his life. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. 
And before you know it, he was toast. Nobody ever plans on being a failure. It just kind of comes on gradually. Nobody ever says, I'm going to be an alcoholic, you know. It just kind of comes on gradually. Nobody ever says, I'm going to be a drug addict. It just kind of comes on little by little. Nobody ever says, I'm going to have an affair. It just comes on little by little. A little glance here, a little word of encouragement there, right? Nobody ever says, I'm going to walk away from God. Nobody ever wakes up one day and says, hey, I'm going to walk away from God. No. It just happens little by little. Now, verse 21 shows us what happens when you get careless with your commitment to God. I read it earlier. Then the Philistines seized him. The champion of Israel has now been seized. And they gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackles, shackles he could have easily just busted out of. And they set him to doing the work of animals. He's grinding wheat. He's lost his power. He's lost his influence. All because he wasn't serious about the small things in life. So what's the application? The application is you've got to stay alert to the schemes of, of Satan. That's the application here. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I think he's saying basically the same thing that the story says. Hey, don't, don't let anything weaken your life. Stay alert. Watch out for your desires. Watch out for your anger. Don't be careless. Stay alert. You've got an enemy out there. And he's pretty good at what he does. Got his PhD in screwing up people's lives, men's lives, families' lives, marriages. And all throughout God's word, God says, be careful, watch out. I love you and I care for you. You're my masterpiece. I got a plan for your life. Look at this story. Learn from it. So do a little self-evaluation. How cognitive are you of temptation? Not very? Somewhat or very? Here, here, here's a great way to figure it out. This morning when you got up, it's almost, what is it, 1225. Got up, brushed your teeth, put your clothes on, makeup, you know, whatever. Probably had some breakfast or whatever. Has there been one moment until I just mentioned it that you thought about the demons? One moment. Well, I, got to, I prayed. I didn't ask you if you prayed. Well, I, uh, I read my Bible. I didn't ask you if you read your, read your Bible. I want to know if there was a moment when you were cognitive of the fact that you got an enemy. And when you went to bed last night, he didn't sleep. He was up all night just trying to figure out how do I mess up your life? How do I mess up your marriage? How do I screw up your family? Did you think about it? Did, did, did you stay alert? to the truth that there's an enemy out there. How cognitive are you of, of to temptation? Now, the story doesn't end here, praise God. There's a reason why Samson is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, and I wish I had time to go through this, but I don't. Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call God's hall of fame or hall of faith. Look at verse 22. He says here, it says here in the word, but the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved off. 
Yes. Yes. This is a great verse. It's that verse right there that led me years ago when we were on our first Israel trip to buy this. I have it in a prominent place in my office. The story of Samson is probably my favorite story. And you're thinking to yourself, some of you, really? That guy was one screwed up dude. <laughs> yeah, I know. So was I. You see, this story is going to end differently. You see, the greatest day of Samson's life is going to be his last day on planet Earth. And it's a great moment. That word bud is an incredible word right here. You see, I believe that while Samson was in that prison, is all shackled up, his eyes are gouged out, and you know, every day he'd go down for hours and you know, spin this big wheel and grind up all this wheat. I think there were times he would sit back down and there came a moment when he did this. And he felt his hair. As I told you, I don't think his strength was in his hair. It was in his commitment to God. And, but when he felt the stubble, it was, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. And he thought back to when his mama and daddy told him about the day that an angel came and told them that they were going to have a special son. He thought back to all the days that his mama and daddy had told him about the Lord and how special he was. He thought back to the day when he had made that Nazarite vow to not goof around with alcohol and not eat certain things and not cut his hair. He thought back to how foolish and careless he had been with his desires and, and how out of control his anger had been. I think he thought back to that, those moments when he was just careless with his commitment. And it was at that moment that he said, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've made a mess of my life. I've messed Everything happened. Would you forgive me, God? Could, could, could I be used again, God? Is it possible? And I wish I had time to read the story. You, you can read it for yourself in verse 26 of, of this chapter. But the Bible says that they took Samson into this temple, and they were basically going to make fun of him. They were going to mock him, you know, and they probably did this all the time. There is the champion of Israel, blinded, you know, Total loser. God heard his prayers. God heard this man repent. His hair had grown back. And he says, hey, 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 I was wondering, could you just put me between these two pillars? And somebody put him between the pillar. And here were all these Philistines, thousands of them. Oh, God, one last time, God. I want to be used one last time. And that's how we know Samson. God gave him the strength to knock out those pillars and all these pillars fell and 3,000 Philistines died that day along with Samson. Here's a guy who makes a total mess of his life and yet he makes it into God's Hall of Fame. He's there along with David and Joseph and Abraham and all those people. And you know what? That's comforting to me. And men, listen to me. 
especially those that have felt a little beat up by the Holy Spirit. That ought to be comforting to you. You see, I know that there are some of you in here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've blown it big time. I've blown it morally. I've blown it financially. I've blown it relationally. I've made bad choices in my life. My desires have been out of control. My anger's been out of control. I got careless with my commitment to God and didn't see what Satan was doing in my life and I was deceived. Yeah, welcome to the club. But you're still alive, aren't you? And maybe this is the day when you start to feel your hair growing back, so to speak. Maybe God's been giving you a little bit of a kidney punch all throughout this message because he's saying to you, I love you and I care about you. I still got a plan for your life. And today, why don't you repent of your sin like Samson did? I'm not done with you. God's not done with you, he's saying. Doesn't matter how messed up your life is. The story of Samson is a story of, of hope. It's a story of a God who gives second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And for some of you, this ought to be that moment. In fact, I'm going to ask all the men to stand up. Over in the venue, I want all the men to stand up. I don't care whether you're a young man like Kate or you're an older guy. I don't care how old you are. I want you standing up, married or not. And I want everybody in here just to close their eyes for a moment. Over in the venue, close your eyes. Ladies, close your eyes. And man, right now, I just want you to pray. Maybe you need to confess some sin. But right now, as you're praying, there are pastors and elders all over this auditorium right now that are walking up and down these rows. They're up in the balconies. They're up in the uh, uh, mezzanine. The elders of this church are just simply walking down the rows. And you know what they're doing? They're praying for you. But you need to pray for you. You need to take your life more seriously than I'm taking it right now. You need to take your life more seriously than these pastors and elders are taking it right now. This ought to be a moment of repentance for you. Maybe your desires are out of control and just tell God you're sorry. Over in the venue, I know Scott is walking up and down those rows over there to pray for you in the venue. Maybe your anger's out of control, and right now you just need to say, God, help me. Maybe you've been a little careless with your commitment to God, and you've gotten really close to the cliff. You and God talk right now. Tell God what you need to tell God. Ladies, obviously it applies to you too, doesn't it? Your desires can be out of control. Your anger can be out of control. You can get careless with your commitment. Maybe you need to do some repenting while you're sitting there. I'm just going to let it be quiet for a moment as we pray. I believe miracles are happening right now. I believe that. I just believe that God is doing some incredible stuff in some of your life right now. Like Samson, you're beginning to sense God's forgiveness. While everybody's just praying and it's quiet, as our pastors and elders are walking around, ladies, I want you to stand now. And if your man is here, I want you to slip your arm into his arm or grab his hand if you're married. 
And now our elders and pastors are going to pray for the women of this church. And pray for the marriages of this church. Some of you are probably thinking, man, my marriage is over with. Man, my, my husband's just been crummy. Well, guess what? I believe a miracle's happened in your husband's life. And just like the Lord maybe gave him another shot, maybe you're going to give your husband another shot. Maybe when you get home today, husbands and wives, you know, guys, you need to grab your wife and say, I'm sorry, my, my anger's been out of control. And I know I've told you a thousand times I'm sorry, but here's the deal. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the church. I'm going to get some help. I've been careless with my commitment. Maybe there's a lady that needs to tell her husband that today sometime. Just need to tell each other what God's doing in your life. And I believe that God's going to restore some marriages. I believe that. Not only in this room, but over in the, in the venue. Pray. Pray for your life, your marriage, your kids, your future wife, your future husband, whatever. Pray. While your heads are bowed and eyes are closed, look. The altar room is a place where the spiritual leaders are there and they're waiting for you. If you want to go in there and say, hey, listen, I, I, I made a commitment. Would you pray for me specifically? Would you lay your hands on me and pray for me? Whether it be in, the alt, whether it be in here or over in the venue, we have a place where, where you can go. Maybe your spouse isn't here, your wife's not here, your husband's not here, and you wish they were. Maybe you could go in there and say, hey, pray for my man. Pray for my woman. Pray. I'm praying for a miracle. Father, thank you, Lord, for today and this man's life, Samson. and What an incredible story. Story of great sin and a story of great redemption. I pray that somehow, Lord, that everybody in this room would sense that, you know what, maybe, maybe, God, you could use us even though we've blown it huge. Nobody's blown it worse than Samson blew it in this room. And yet you still used them. And you want to use the people that are here now. You want to use these men now. And I believe, God, miracles happened in this room. I believe there were miracles that happened over in the venue. I believe that, God. I believe incredible things were happening. Father, I look forward to just walking through more of these people in scriptures next week, Noah. If you don't come back again, I just know we're going to learn things from these guys. I just know it. And our lives are going to be enriched because of them. I know it. Thanks, God, for your goodness. Give us a great holiday coming up. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord, bless you.